again. My hope tonight, this is going to be the least impressive message you've ever heard. Uh, so, but my hope is that, that King Jesus is going to do some work in your heart and in your mind tonight, like through uh, just his presence here in the room. And so, uh, so uh, just so you know, there's no bells and whistles. There's no flashy. There's nothing. I've got nothing cute for you tonight. I've got straightforward message about the promise of the Messiah. Uh, so we have been in the series called The Promise, uh, where we have been looking at that first line in the book of Matthew, uh, the very first gospel, the first, first book of the New Testament, the first line of the New Testament that introduces the story of Jesus and our, our story as the people of God, as, as, as the church. And that very first line says that this is kind of the record of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we've been looking at the promises attached to each one of those names. The promise of Abraham to be blessed and to belong. To have a, have a, be a part of God's family and to be blessed. So we looked at that promise. And then last week we looked at the promise of David. The promise of a king and a kingdom. How we are not very good rulers of ourselves. And so we need to entrust ourselves to King Jesus to lead us. And that we have to surrender our lives to him. And today we're going to look at the promise of the Messiah, which is the promise to reconcile and restore. The promise to reconcile and restore. The word Messiah, just in case you don't know, because it's a very churchy word, uh, simply means to anoint or anointed one. So in the Hebrew scriptures, in the language of the Old Testament, uh, this was a word used when you would put oil on something, on anything, to designate it as, as special or different. So, for example, they would put oil on a priest to say, this person is set apart to work in the temple. Or oil on the head or the beard of a king to say, this is our representative. It was setting someone apart for something. Uh, that's, that's a, that word Messiah just means anointed one. Uh, when that word, when the Greek people started translating uh, the Old Testament, they, they have a different word. It's the word Christos, which is where we get the word Christ. And that just means the same thing, to put oil on something. And actually, originally, it didn't have any, like, religious connotation to it. So we, think, we hear the name Christ, and we immediately think of, like, son of God, right? So, but originally, it was like, you're putting oil on bread. It just means to, cup, to put oil on something or to butter something if they had butter, right? Like, so, uh, so it's, it's really simple, but it has tons of meaning to say that this person is the anointed one. And so as we encounter this phrase, Jesus, the Messiah, or in our translations, Jesus, the Christ, it's saying something really significant. It's saying this person is the one that has been set apart that we've been hoping for. And, and there's, it's just loaded with all of this meaning. Throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, people began to use that word anointed, not just for people in the particular time and place, but one person who would come one day who would be completely set apart by God to do something that only God could do. We see that word pop up over and over again throughout the scriptures. But even where we don't see the word, we see the idea of a person who's representing God. So in the very first couple pages of your Bible, when we have this promise to Eve, remember where Adam and Eve sin and there's the, the curses that are happening. And right in the middle of all of that, God makes this promise that he will one day crush the serpent's head. I love that image. Man, it's so, I can't wait to that day. This is going to crush the serpent's head. And it's a promise that of a seed, of, of a son coming down her line that one day. And so it doesn't use the word Messiah, but it's talking about the same person. Uh, it's, it's so cool to kind of follow the, the trail of crumbs through scripture that leads to Jesus. And so when you get to the New, the New Testament and you reach, meet this person, Jesus, for the first time, you're like, whoa, this is the one we've been talking about. This is the anointed one. This anointed one would not just be any king that would be anointed, but would be the king of kings. It would be God ruling himself on earth. This wouldn't just be any priest, but this would be a priest like no other who would make a one-time sacrifice for all. This would be someone not like a prophet who was anointed, who just occasionally spoke for God, but, like, but one who speaks for God all the time. Like Every word that came out of the mouth of the Messiah would be God himself speaking to us. And so, uh, so there's this great anticipation of all these different promises coming together. Uh, and if I had to sum up, okay, what are all these promises about the Messiah about? I think that one way we could do it would be to talk about reconciliation and restoration promise of the Messiah to reconcile and restore. 
These words are really simple. Everyone knows what reconcile is, right? You have broken relationships. You got to put them back together again. There's something that, that's like that's opposed. Somehow we have to make them fit. They don't fit together. So to reconcile is to bring back broken relationships. To restore is to bring something back to its original life. Uh, to, to make something what it was intended to be. Uh, around this time of year, I don't know why this gift sticks out in, in my mind, but my dad one time for Christmas had my mom ha had this uh, beautiful old cedar chest. And I remember that cedar chest in her in their bedroom, and it was like this, this really dark kind of like burgundy kind of color. And I didn't know what it originally looked like, but it had been passed down in the family. And one year, my dad had it restored back to its original kind of design. And it was this gorgeous piece of furniture I had no idea was sitting in their bedroom all this time. I didn't know. Like that's what restoration is, to take something back to its original design and what it was intended to be. And so the Bible is filled with talking about these different ways that the Messiah will come and reconcile and restore God's people. Reconcile people to God and restore God's people. And I'll give you some examples of that in a second. But I, one of the things that I think is really important for us, and I think really important for us in this room, is to recognize that reconciliation and restoration belong together. They belong together. Sometimes in the Christian world, we can separate how God forgives us of our sins from how God is also our healer and our deliverer. But, but that's totally foreign to how the Gospels present what Jesus is doing. The way that Jesus is presented in the Gospels is someone sent to save us from our sins, to reconcile us, but then also someone who is sent to heal our diseases. It's one and the same Messiah doing one of the same, one of the same things. But we often separate these things, and so we, 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 we don't see how the need for reconciliation and restoration belong together. So, uh, so I was just thinking about this in my own life of, uh, of something that happened. So I, I wish the teens were in here because they'll love this story. Uh, they'll, they'll love to poke, poke fun at me. But when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I, I, you wouldn't know this, but I had hair down to about my chin. Uh, can you picture it now? Just go ahead. Let's go ahead and do it. I had hair down to about my chin. I was, this is like so early 90s. And this, this haircut's actually kind of come back a little bit in the last years, but it was like shaved on the sides, long on top, and you could pull it back in a little ponytail. Like, I got to like ponytail stage, and I was like, I just don't think this look is for me. Like, I just, I just, I don't, I don't think this is doing it for me. And so, so I, and uh, you know, as a, as a high school kid, you're always insecure. Even when you act like you're not insecure, you are still insecure. And so, so as a high school kid, I had some insecurity about that. I wasn't sure what it was going to look like. I had been growing out my hair for a long time. And so I went to the barber and had it cut and, and had it cut. And it was cut really short. And I like, and you know, like if you haven't done your hair in a long time, I literally haven't done my hair, guys. And I don't know, 30 years I shaved my head in Mexico when I was 15, and I've never gone back. Other so no, I'm just kidding, other than growing it out for this period of time. Uh, so anyway, I um, so I got a cut. I wasn't really crazy about how it looks, but I was, so I was very insecure about it. And I I got to my church youth group uh, that night. When I showed up to youth group, there was a kid in my youth group that was like a kid who I dearly love, but was like, um, how can I put this delicately? always knew how to push my buttons. Um, and this particular night, he knew how to push my buttons because of getting a drink out of the water fountain and he came in and he messed up my freshly gelled hair. And I was like so triggered by this in my insecure nature, I absolutely flew off the handle. Now, mind you, I've been this size since I was that age. And so I turned around, I picked the kid up and I walked him down the hallway, I'm not, I'm not joking at all, I walked him down the hallway and I shoved him in to, to this wall and to a perfect outline of his body, it, it like broke the wall. Like from, and like, and he was about as tall as I am, so it was like the whole wall collapsed in when, when I did this, I was so mad. And immediately, right afterwards, like, realized like how stupid this was, like why did I get so mad, like, you know, all these different things going on. But the damage was done. His face was stone white. He thought I was going to murder him. Like, I, like, every, it was like as everyone's coming in for youth group, so everyone paused and everyone's like looking and like, oh my gosh. 
I can see the look of disappointment on my youth pastor's face. I can see the look of disappointment on his face. He just starts sobbing, crying. Man, it's that, I don't know why it still bothers me, but it, but it does. Like, man, it just broke my heart. Like, and in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? This is actually, even though this kid kind of picked at me a little bit, like, and, 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 like I still really loved him a lot. And, it, and when I saw that look on his face where he was scared of me, I was like, this is not okay. And so I knew I had to reconcile that relationship. I knew there was something I would have to do to, to, to kind of like befriend this person again, to build up trust again. But then also, I had a lot of restoration I had to do. Because now I had damaged not only his trust, but my youth pastor's trust. I was like a youth leader. I had already like preached my very first sermon, like as like as like a you know sophomore in high school, and like and so I, there was a lot of trust like built up into me, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've let everybody down, and I have no idea how to patch an entire sheet of drywall, like, and I have no money with which to pay someone to do this. I had to go to my pastor that night. And talk to him and let him know about this like whole thing that happened. And it ended up being this whole process where I had to go and make things right. It wasn't enough just to ask for forgiveness. And which my friend quickly forgave me. But I actually had to go about the process of righting these wrongs that I had done. Well, guys, the, the human condition that we find ourselves in of sinfulness requires that we have to be both made right with God. So we need reconciliation with God. Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. More on that in a second. So none of us are perfect. All of us have sin. And in that sin, we also make messes of our lives. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But, but we've got an enemy who original Adam and Eve listened to and we continue to listen to. Whenever we listen to his voice and partner with whatever he desires for us, it brings destruction into the equation. And so what we need is a Savior who will rec rescue us from our sin and reconcile us to God, but also restore the brokenness that's happened because of sin and because, because of evil. Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 61 for me are these two incredible portraits of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one who's coming to reconcile us from our sin and then restore us from our brokenness. So here's what Isaiah 53 says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing, sorry, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering, and we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The New Testament, this is one of the most quoted passages from the Old Testament. It's quoted in the New Testament. And that every time they quote this passage over and over again, they point back to Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection as a fulfillment of these words. That what Jesus did was when he was on the earth was fulfilling what was said in Isaiah 53 long ago. Giving his life for our life, taking, his, taking our sins upon himself in order to reconcile us back to God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray and needed to come home. And Jesus was the anointed one come the sense to reconcile us back to God. Or like it says in the right in the beginning of the story of, uh, of Matthew, that Jesus was sent to save us from our sins. There's an interesting picture here, right at the end of this passage, where it talks about how we are sheep that have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That, for me, that little, those few lines right there in that portion, for me, unlock the meaning and the understanding of this whole thing. There's a, I, there's a clear image there that's really, really powerful. Uh, think about this. Uh, think about uh, there's a pen full of sheep. And that, that pen full of sheep is loved dearly by a shepherd and a shepherd's son. 
They would do anything for these sheep. They love them. They've cared for them. They've tenderly fed them. They've done everything they possibly could. And then one day, one of the sheep get the idea that somehow things are better out there than they are in the safety of the keep of the shepherd. And so they begin to go astray and leave the pen one after one after one. And as they leave the safety of the shepherd, they wander out into the wilderness. And where the wilderness is, is all kinds of bad stuff. It's where the lion lives and the bear lives and the wolves live. And there's a reason why shepherds keep their sheep close, because if they're close and they're together, they're protected. But if they're out there in the wilderness in unknown territory in the dark, then it's harder for the shepherd to actually watch out for them. And actually, the shepherd puts themselves at great danger if they were to go and try to rescue the sheep. But in this scenario, that is exactly what happens. The father loves these sheep and wants these sheep to come home. And the son says to the father, they're my sheep too, and I love them too. And so the, the shepherd says, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to put myself at great risk. I'm going to go and I put myself out there where the wolves and the lions are and where the bears are. And I'm going to put myself between those beasts and between, between these shepherds and I'm going to make this right. And the father says, okay, son, go. And that seems really foolish if you don't understand the love of the shepherd for the sheep. But if you understand how much the shepherd loves the sheep, then it's the only thing the shepherd could do. And the picture here of, of Isaiah is of the shepherd who goes out to rescue the sheep and submits himself to being gobbled up by all of the evil that's out there. That, that was, it would have made sense for, to, for the sheep to like, uh, take on the, what they deserved almost. Like, you left the safety of the pen. Uh, you deserve whatever's out there. But the shepherd doesn't look it upon the sheep that way, in the same way that our father doesn't look upon us that way. That is the gospel in a nutshell. I will go and take the evil of the world, the iniquity, all of it. I will put myself in the place where you should be getting eaten up by all the hardship and the difficulty of the world. I will submit myself to that. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all of the evil that humanity could possibly heap up on him crucifying the Lord himself. If, we really, if, if they really knew who Jesus was, they never would have done it, right? But they did. So Jesus offers himself up just like that son to save his sheep. And the picture that's in Isaiah is that picture. The father and the son conspiring together. I know that this, the harm will come to you, son, but this is the only way to save the sheep. So go and rescue them. Jesus goes. This is the only way to rescue his people from, from their sin, to purify us from our own sin. The sin that was causing us to turn in shame from God. The, the sin that was causing us to live estranged from God. The way the New Testament talks about this is like we were enemies with God. Like, that's harsh language, friends. I don't know if you've thought about that. Like, that's language that oftentimes we want to shy away from. But it's the, it's the descriptor of the human condition. It's a hard diagnosis, but I heard recently that it's better to hear that hard diagnosis than for someone to dance around it and act like there's nothing wrong. Right? So scripture paints this picture of, gosh, we're estranged from God. We're enemies with God. It makes the, the picture of Jesus laying down his life for us so much better. For me, it's hard to think about Christmas without thinking about Easter. It's so beautiful, the picture of the sun and the, and the joy and all of that, but, but we know how that story ends, right? Or at least we know what the interlude looks like, the death and resurrection. But the Messiah takes all of that on himself to reconcile us back to God, to purify us, to make us whole again, so that we could be righteous, to, to give us his goodness to, uh, to, to us, so that we could be restored back to a relationship but it's not enough just to have that forgiveness because Jesus came to forgive sins but he also and to reconcile, but he also came to restore. So going back to my story with, with my friend Matt, my actions required forgiveness. They required reconciliation. Uh, and, and I'm so thankful that I got that, but it also required for the broken things to get fixed. I had to go back and repair the damaged relationships and the trust that I had. I had to go about the work of fixing the wall 
that my anger and my sin had caused. I had to find a way to pay that. It was this whole cascade of events, and it sticks out in my mind as one of the most character-forming parts of my life. And it would have been fine had my friend Matt who said, I forgive you, okay, it's done. Like, but actually, there was something powerful that actually needed to be healed in me in the restoration process. And the biblical picture of a Messiah who, does, who comes not only to reconcile, but also to restore. There is an enemy that led us to sin. And it's his doing and our participation in what he does that is responsible for all of the brokenness around us. There's a, there's a lot of questions about well, why did God allow this or why did God do this? And really, that's a misguided question. Because we know the source of the brokenness and the sickness and the disease and the distortion is not the Lord. It's an enemy, and it's our sin. And it's unquestioned in Scripture that that's where it comes from. Not that there's always a one-to-one -one correlation, but the brokenness of the world, the thorn and the thistles that we have to deal with, that is a result of the fall. And part of what Jesus comes to do is to restore that brokenness. That was the promise of the anointed one. Not only to reconcile us, but to also restore us. Here's the picture in Isaiah 61. Here's what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he the Lord has anointed me. That word anointed right there. He has messiahed me. He has put the oil on me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, the display of his splendor. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus was sent to do. I'm, I'm actually I'm surprised they got through reading it, to be honest. As a matter of fact, when Jesus has an opportunity for the very first time to do public teaching in a synagogue, as far as we can tell, this is the passage that he chooses to describe what he came to do. It's found in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been tempted by the enemy. He comes out of the wilderness in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he, or, and he reads from this, this specific passage and says, this is what I'm here to do, and then puts the scroll away. If you were ever curious about why did Jesus come, he came. He says it in his own words, I came to do this stuff. This passage for me has been one of those passages that has defined my life. I remember, um, I remember a moment um, when I read where Jesus is quoting from the, the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. And he goes through this whole thing. And I was like, wow, that's like Jesus saying really clearly what he came to do. And then I felt like the Lord reminded me in, in, in John where he says, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And I was like, so wait a minute. This is what Jesus came to do. He says he's sending me to do the same stuff. So this is what he's sending me to do too. It profoundly changed the way I saw my purpose here on life. Because this is the Lord's plan of restoration. This is what Jesus does throughout his life. He goes around and he shares good news. He proclaims the good news that the kingdom of God is coming. It's right here. It's, a, it's in your midst. He goes around and he heals people with physical illness. He encourages people who are brokenhearted. He sets people free of all different kinds of bondage, emotional, spiritual, physical. It's awesome. It's the thing that people are like, this guy, he must be real. <laughs> like, look at all these things he's doing, right? Even think about this, the importance of reconciliation and restoration. Do you remember that story of those friends who lower their friend through the roof of the house? What happens in that story? 
Jesus forgives. He says, your friend, your sins are forgiven. And then what does he do? Then he heals, doesn't he? Right? They go hand in hand. Like, this is our Messiah, the reconciler and the restorer. And one particular story that I love, Jesus does like all these awesome things at one time. He encounters a, a man who's possessed by a demon. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the man was so, um, was so emotionally distraught and physically distraught, he was in, unable to control himself that they bound him in chains so he wouldn't hurt himself or hurt other people. It sounds really cruel, but what do you do for somebody who won't stop hurting themselves? And so, so they're bound him in chains, but he's so violent that he, breaks, he keeps breaking his chains. They keep trying to bind him up. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in, he sets them free of that. And he's no longer emotionally, spiritually bound. He's also no longer physically bound. It's, it's like a perfect picture of what Isaiah 61 says Jesus came to do. If there is a picture of someone who's oppressed, it would be that guy. He would be the person who would be waiting for the good news of Jesus to come and set, set him free. The one who would be saying, yes, I want the year of Jubilee. I want all the freedom that the Messiah is coming to bring. He is, he is the kind of person who would say, yeah, I need beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, and so on and so on. And Jesus not only did this with his like, ministry of deliverance and healing, he also did it with his words, with his teaching. There's a couple times in the gospel where it says Jesus looked out at the crowds and he had compassion on them. And so he began to teach them. He began to instruct them in these things. Like, hey, there's a new way of life. So think about the Beatitudes in the beginning of the gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they're the recipients of this good news right here. You're like, yeah, you should be excited because you are about to experience deliverance. Do you know the early church was not content to come up here and sit and listen to a person up here talk? They actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he can actually do the things that Isaiah 61 says. And they lived in that expectant reality that he was their deliverer. I've got to be honest, I'm just too comfortable and so many other things to deliver me that I'm not hungry for the Messiah to bring his deliverance. But I think that what God is stirring up in his people is a hunger, a renewed sense of, come, Emmanuel. I need you. I need this Messiah. The people on my street need this Messiah. You know what I'm saying? Like your family, your broken family that you go back to at Christmas and Thanksgiving needs this Messiah. What you do in the closed hours of the night when no one else is, you need this Messiah. I need this Messiah. And you don't have one without the other. We need the reconciliation. We need to deal with the sin in our lives. That's the price that Jesus paid for on the cross. It's a high price that will never perish, spoil, or fade, Peter talks about. Like, it, it, it's such an incredibly high price. We need that forgiveness in our lives. So you think one of the major problems, I'm going to pick a bear, okay? Poke a bear here. I think one of the major problems with modern Christianity is that we don't recognize our sinfulness. Like, one thing I know is, like, the closer you get to God, the more you recognize, like, oh, my gosh, he is so holy, and I am not. Like, you get, you get come out into a brighter light, and you can see all the things in your life start to get exposed. And all of a sudden, like, there's this invitation to come and receive the forgiveness, be reminded that you are forgiven, that your sins have been washed away. Not wallow in it and not be, uh, not in self-pity and self-hatred, but to come and receive forgiveness. But if we don't acknowledge our sin before our Lord, then we cannot be saved. I, guys, I, I, I know that this is not like popular church 101, but this is the, this is the power of the gospel. We have to recognize our sin. the good news is we're all on the same page, right? Like, there shouldn't be anybody who's like, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, then you tell me how you don't sin, because I want to know. I've never met a person who doesn't, right? Like, we all need a Savior, so there's nothing wrong with saying that. 
There's nothing wrong with saying we need to be reconciled with God, but we also all need restoration. There's not one person in this room who isn't touched by the brokenness that either you have done or has been done to you. There's not, there's not one person who's not been touched with sickness or disease or hardship or broken relationships or mental illness or anxiety in some way, shape, or form. We all need the restoration of the Savior, right? Jesus began that the moment he was born, but he's not done yet. He did all of this restoration and reconciliation in his time here on earth. And now we live in the in-between time. The price was paid once for all on the cross for our forgiveness of sins so we could be reconciled to God. By those same stripes, we are also healed. So now while we live in this in-between time, there are times where we see this restoration, and it's beautiful and amazing. Yesterday, um, we, uh, yesterday we sat at the house. Uh, some, some friends have become very close to me uh, who um, their daughter had breast cancer. Uh, and, um, and was miraculously healed in the last year. There, there, there was a lump, and now there is no lump. All the cancer markers are down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God does that. Like, incredible. But we also live in, between the, in the in-between times where sometimes that doesn't happen. And so then we cry out, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, right now. I need you right now, right here. Because where else will we go? What other hope do we have, right? He is the Savior of the world. And while we live in the in-between time, his church says, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. That is the cry of the church. Come quickly, Lord. We need you. We need your reconciliation. We need your restoration. There's nothing wrong with saying the world is not as it's meant to be yet. Jesus knew this. This is why he's prepared good works for us to do. Remember this, right? That promise of reconciliation and restoration stands for us today. Jesus started something, he's still doing something, and he will do it until one day he comes and he sets it all right. One day, we won't need reconciliation, we won't need restoration. Like, one day, it's all going to be made new. Until then, we live with a hopeful expectation of what he will do until that day comes. Until then, we get tastes of heaven. We get breakthrough of heaven. We get, to, we get to experience a taste, a foretaste of what's to come. That means that people who are living addiction can live free of addiction right now. That means that people who were, were, were struggling with anxiety and depression can be freed of that. People who are demonized can be freed of that, right? That means that people who, who, who don't recognize their sinful state, their heart can be changed. And they can be repentant before the Lord, Someone said to me about someone who's in this room the other day, I cannot believe that person is alive. It's like only the work of God. That's awesome, guys. Like, so, Dan, you can come up. I really believe that the Messiah is, some, is more than just someone we talk about. And we reflect on and we sing songs about at Christmas time. But Jesus the Messiah is real and present and here in this room right now. And I believe that there is a need in every human heart. And that Jesus can meet that need. Some of you know exactly what it is. You came in here before you ever showed up today. You're like, I know this is the need in my heart. Some of you aren't sure yet. But you're intrigued by what Jesus can do. What do you need from Jesus the Messiah? What do you need? He's your king. Think about Peter. This is one of the most confusing passages for me in the Bible. Is when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples... And Peter is resisting. Do you remember the story? Peter resists Jesus like, no, you can't wash my feet. <laughs> you can't wash my feet. And, and, Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, unless you let me do this, you can't have any part in this with me. There is a posture that we have to take up of receiving from the Lord. 
And if we want to have a relationship with him, look, your relationship with God primarily flows one direction from him to you. And everything else in your life is simply a response to his call in your life. Every breath that you take is a breath that he gave you. Every prayer is a prayer he allowed you to pray, right? So I feel like there's a humbling that needs to happen in our hearts to say, Jesus, this is what I need. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a little bit of time just to begin to ask the Lord what it is that you need from Jesus the Messiah today. Physical healing, emotional restoration, joy in your life, repentance of sin. I don't know what it might be for you, but today Jesus is here and wants to do some of those things in this room. And so I want to give you just a little bit of time just to think about that, and then I'll kind of come back up in, uh, in a second. what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to read back through Isaiah 61. And my hunch is that there are, are people in the room who will resonate with certain lines. It's like, that's what I need from the Messiah. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come and make space up here and just wherever you can find a spot, kneel down and pray. And there will be people who will come and pray with you uh, if you would like that don't want anyone to pray with you, you can say no, that's okay, but you just come and find a spot and stay up here until someone comes to pray with you. If one of those things is specifically physical healing, our friends Susan and Getty have a real gift in that area, and they would love to pray for you for any physical healing need, and we'll bless you with that, so you can go directly to them. For anything else, just come and hang out here in this front area, and just spend some time just praying. We're just going to spend some time together. You're not dismissed yet. So don't go anywhere, because Jesus isn't done. Okay? So here's Isaiah 61. Get up when, the, when, the, when it moves you. The Spirit of the Lord, the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To feel poor and needy, come forward. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted and you need to feel like your heart is 
ascending to proclaim freedom for the captives if you're feeling in any way bound release from darkness for the prisoners feeling any way bound up come on guys come on come on i know this is true i i know that you are sitting in your chairs and that some of these things apply to you and i do not want you to leave here tonight feeling brokenhearted and bound up to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who are mourning if you're mourning come forward now if you're in a time of grieving time of mourning, God wants to, to give healing to you and comfort you in that. To bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Oil of joy instead of mourning. So if you feel like I've been, I've been in that period of mourning, God wants to give you the instead. He wants to give you the instead. Garment of praise. If you're tired of praying the sad prayers and want to give God praise and say, I want my life to be marked with praise and joy, then come forward. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. If you're feeling like, you know what, I'm tired of my life feeling like meaningless and like it's not going anywhere. I want my life to stand for something. I want it to be anchored in something. Then come forward right now. And, and come and have a life of restoration. Come and have a life that looks like an oak planted in the ground. Going back to Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. If you're in need of reconciliation, if right now you're feeling like, you know what, I know that I, I, I've got sin uh, and I'm not really, I'm not really dealing well with, with, like, with the sin in my life. And I know I need forgiveness. I know I need to come to the Lord and repent of some things. Like now is the time to do that today. Jesus, the reconciler, is here. Jesus, the reconciler, is here. So come, come, Lord Jesus. Come in mercy. Come in kindness, Lord. Come in your mercy, Lord. Come with healing in your wings, Jesus, my Savior. Come with healing and mercy. Come with kindness, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Flood this room with your presence, Lord. With the sweet oil of joy. With the sweet glory of your presence. Healer, redeemer, lover of my soul, would you come? Do your work in this place, Lord. Do your work. Do your healing work here, Lord. Bring life and liberty and freedom in this place, Lord. Lift up the heads of those who are downtrodden, those who are looking down, Lord. Lift up their heads so they see you, Lord, right in your hand. Restore the fortunes of your people. Let your favor be restored back, Lord. Heal the brokenness of marriages, Lord. Heal the brokenness in, in relationships, Lord. Lord, we grieve, Lord, the, the, the brokenness of, of, of human, human relationships, Lord, we grieve it, Lord. It's not right before you, Lord. Make it right, Lord. Make it so. Make it the way it needs to be, Lord. love to pray for someone, then you can come forward and pray for someone, or you can intercede right at your seat. We just want to keep this atmosphere uh, where, where God can work and move in this place and uh, do what he wants to do. So just intercede. Would you be the body of Christ right now and intercede on behalf of those who are, who are wanting more from Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior?
All right, thanks for sticking with us. I think one of the things that's important is, uh, I know it's a little awkward that the, the thing is like, oh, why are we just sitting here? Like we, we could all be going to dinner or doing whatever we're doing, but we're, a, we're the family of God. And when one part of the family gets something uh, from their savior, it's something we all rejoice in. And when one part of the family of God is hurting, it's something we all hurt in. And so it's important that we do this together. Uh, Church is not uh, just always about what you as an individual will get out of it. Uh, And actually, part of what this means is that we come expecting not just for God to do something in my life, but for God to do something in the life of my friend or my family member or that person across the room who I don't know. And like we want to see these kinds of things together. And we want to model that it's okay to ask for prayer. It's normal to ask Jesus for more. It's normal to say, Jesus, I need healing. I need restoration. I need forgiveness. Like that, we, we, we need to normalize that. Like if you've been around our church very long, you know we don't do fake very well. Like that's just not, that's not who we are because we all need Jesus, right? And so this is a place where we can have more of him. So we're gonna continue in that posture of prayer. Thank you so much for sticking with us. I encourage you this week to seek the Messiah. Don't let this be a Sunday night thing, but let this be what you get up and do tomorrow. Think about Isaiah 53. Think about Isaiah 61. There's no way I can do justice in one message to either of those passages. So that wasn't my intent in my heart. Like my intent in my heart was to talk about Jesus, the reconciler and the restorer. You want to know more about that? You have a Bible. Go and read it. And see what Jesus does in your heart as you read those passages. See what he stirs up. See what truth he reveals to you as you go through that. And see what see what God does. Amen. We're going to stick around. I don't think the Lord's done yet. So I know there was someone specifically Susan felt like had a back issue that needed prayer for. Um, was there something else, Susan, too? Ears. Someone with ears. So anyone with a hearing problem? Um, we'd love to pray for that. Any other things? We're just, we're here to pray for you. Love you guys. Have an amazing week. Can't wait to see you next week. See ya. Don't forget to meet our friend Flavio out in the lobby before you go. And be generous in your support. Thank you.